When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to the sixth episode of The Psychologists Are In. I'm Maggie Lawson. And I'm Timothy Amundsen. This week, we are thrilled to have one of our favorite writers from the show, Andy Berman. We will talk about how Andy became a writer and producer for Psych, and we will be focusing on episode five, Nine Lives. Oh, my God. Andy Berman. Andy Berman, who I feel like is psych. When I say all-star psych, I always talk about you. Like you so early had the relationships, the tone, the voice, the energy, all of that of psych, like off the bat. Um, You always felt like cast right away. Yes. Yes. Well, that that's sweet of you to say. And, you know, it's funny because I've been feeling this is fun to do this right now because I've been feeling like really nostalgic about it recently for some reason just about i oftentimes do as we all do right yeah but right recently i really really like you just you say like oh it's the best job you've ever had or you know but in so many ways it's like i even though i was more than an adult at the time coming into this like late in the game i kind of grew up like everything about it always goes back to psych and everything i learned and it's all it's family and it's all like, yeah. So it's crazy. Like I'm feeling really nostalgic now. So you're catching me at a really good time to like talk about like the origins of this for me. We're so like, nostalgic about it, Andy. We start a freaking podcast. We can hang out together. And talk I know about exactly. <laughs> but I'm feeling grateful and nostalgic is what I'm saying. And I, Love yeah, that. I, yeah, it's, you know, not to get sappy right away, but, um, but yeah. Uh, what you do know, you want me to, where do you want me to start? Well, I'll say we, we don't, we're just talking, but I, I, I have to tell you in interviewing Steve, mm. um, Frank's he, your boss, Steve Frank's your boss. Yes. <laughs> um, he told us in his podcast and in, in his, his interview that, uh, you were his like, like season one, he had to have you like, he was like, his dream team was really just Andy Berman and Anna Palm. And, yeah. and he got both of you. Early on, I mean, he obviously loves you so much. And then you basically became, you know, I mean, you were, and he told me, I did not know this, that you, when you came on, he was like, yeah, it was sort of like in the lowest level writing position. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I was was a staff staff writer. There was no money left. There was no, there was no title other than that offered. It was like, uh, yeah, it's a really, it, just to give you a little bit, this is the sort of fun background before I met Steve, but uh, I owe obviously all this to Steve, but other than that, I owe it to Kelly Kolchak because at the same time that Steve was running around town pitching uh, Psych, she was running around town with me into a lot of different rooms pitching a teenage male midwife series that was like a DD <sighs> house, everybody was a male midwife. And she's the only one that thought that idea was like funny and promising, but we like, 
we did not uh, sell that idea, <laughs> but we went to all these different rooms. And at, yeah. so at the same time, I've been hearing yeah. about Steve before I met him. And she's like, hey, cause we would talk about pitching styles and we would talk about how we're going to the room and like, you know, and she said, you know, I have to do these pre-calls now that I started doing these pitches with Steve Franks because he's six foot eight and he's <laughs> super animated and he gets up and he acts out the scenes and he's frightened some executives like they, they just feel like I have to tell them, like warn them in advance because it's a lot, you know, when it comes in because we were just talking about different stuff. So I didn't sell that show. She calls me. Uh, I, I was on a sitcom uh, on ABC, that was my really my first job writing. Hey, what was that? You're acting or writing on that? I was writing. It was my first writing. Like I had sold a couple pilots, which was kind of crazy, but I couldn't get staffed. It was like I was doing a career change from acting to writing. And it was just really, really everyone should know it's like the hardest thing in the world to get your first mm -hmm. job to get to get a, get that staff writer job. And I had finally gotten onto this ABC show. It was the Freddie Prince Jr. Um, sitcom. And I was on ABC. And what's strange is, and I don't want to disparage anybody, but I wasn't happy working on it. And I and I didn't fit in. And I felt like, oh, my God, everything. I thought it was like Everybody Loves Raymond, where like because I had seen their stage show where everyone tells all the stories about how the writers came in to the room and they told a story about their wife. And then it becomes an episode and they were all on the show for nine years together. And I, <laughs> I saw all these people. Together and I was like, this is the dream. It's like your show of shows. It's like Sid Caesar. It's like I wanted to be part of that. And I got onto this thing and I realized, wow, there's so much politics to navigate. It can be a really toxic environment. And I always say, like, Unlike actors who wear their hearts on their sleeve, like writers don't know how to talk to each other, don't know how to express their feelings, are like, you know, eating pills and snacks and like, just like not, it's just a, it was like a crazy environment for me to jump into. And, mm -hmm. and I was realizing it's when you think about everybody all together and the best idea wins kind of thing, it's just, it wasn't that for me. And so I was really unhappy and I was thinking about, I don't think I want to do this after I've worked so hard to like switch careers and get, I finally got into this room and I'm like, I don't think I can do this. I, I and you know, I like called my agent. And I was like, I, I, I want to get out of this. Like, I just don't think I, I, I can't do it. And he said, okay, you can't quit. You're a baby writer. Who's like, you will never work in this town again. <laughs> and I was like, but I'm not even sure I want to do it at all. And I get this call from Kelly Kolchak and she said, guess what, Andy, Steve Frank sold that show psych. We're like making a pilot. It's going like, and I said, will you send me the script? I want to read it. And I get the script for the pilot. And it was like my world opened up to me because there was like multicam sitcoms, which are great and kind of what I grew up on. And then it was all the shows I was watching, which were like dark dramas. And I was like, this is sort of fitting somewhere in between, but it was so funny. And so we, we all know how bright and like Steve's like banter and just like, it was alive. And yet, it was a one hour show dealing with a crime, kidnapping and murder. And I was like, this is like too good to be true. I've never seen anything like this on TV. For me, it's funny, but it's also crime. And like I called her and I said, Kelly, you have to save me from my life. Like you have to I, I have to write on this. And she said, Andy, I would lo love nothing more than for you to write on the show. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of politics and a whole process and everything. And I said, please, whatever you could do, you know, and I sent all my samples and and, you know, she had them and she was going to show them to Steve. But there's a ladder before it gets to Steve. But she said, Steve, this guy, you will really love this guy personally. And you've got to read his stuff. And you have to know that Steve, coming from the feature world, 
Big Daddy and like, you know, he had a few TV projects, but he didn't, he was never running a show and he never, he didn't read people's samples of, and he didn't watch a lot of TV, but he loved Scrubs and Scrubs was a show he knew. So he goes, I'll read the kid Scrubs. So he reads it and he liked it. So I get the meeting and Kelly's like, you got the meeting, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, Henzi's on board, but I go for this meeting and there's a lot of rules to this meeting that your agent tells you. And because like. you're, it's an audition, right? Of course, it's mostly a personality audition. In a lot of ways, they've read your sample, they've responded to your writing, but you're, they're asking themselves this burning question of, can I sit in a room with this person? Uh, do I like them? Like, it, could I, am I going to be able to? And then you just never know whether they're going to deliver for sure until you get like a first draft of something you just never know. So it's an interview, it's an audition, but they always say, talk about the show, but don't pitch episodes of the show because it's a lose-lose. Like this person has created the show. They have their own ideas of like things like you pitch something and it's like not something that they like, you're, it's over with. So you kind of supposed to dance around the idea of things that would appeal to you, characters that you like, things that you've responded to, but don't pitch an idea. But Steve didn't know any of these rules. And I didn't have that much experience with the rules, but I knew going in, I shouldn't do that. And Steve, of course, it's like everything about it was dream come true, right? Because I already love Steve. I already love the script. I already wanted this job so badly. You go in, and I'm hadn't nervous. Haven't even met us yet. Haven't even <laughs> met you guys yet. This is just, how do I get the show? I felt like this show, what was riding on the show is literally going to save my career in a way and save my life. Because I was like, I can't think of anything else in TV that I really want. Like that's sort of where I was at. That's what was riding on it. Wow, and Andy, so like that's it. what I was going into with this thing, but I'm trying to be, and Steve's just, he's on the couch and he's, you know, crossing his leg and he's got like kneecaps the size of dinner plates. And it's just <laughs> like, you know, it was everything Kelly had said. He's just like this six-year-old kid that you want and blow them up to this six foot eight guy. And it's infectious and it's great. And I'm just like, oh my God, I got to work for this guy. Like I got to get on the show. And the conversation starts to die down. He goes, hey, so when you think about the show, do you have any ideas of an like, episode that you would want to do? And it was like, question. trick question. He didn't know though. I, he wanted to know. He was like, let's, I think it was going well. And he just wanted to hear. And I did have an idea and, and it was nine lives. I just said, I I think I probably pitched him two things, but one of the things I pitched him was what if a cat is the only witness to a crime? And so the whole time he has to carry around the cat and he's pretending to like communicate with the cat. And he laughed as Steve would laugh, like he liked it or whatever. And, but I didn't know. And I left the room and I remember calling my agent and he's like, you pitched. And I did like, he was like, Oh, okay. And I said, well, he seemed to like, it." it was like, of course he seemed to like, you know, like he was worried. And then I get a call from Kelly that I got the job. And I think it took a while because it was that thing. It's probably what Steve described. Like there were some upper level people that were already hired. Money was used up. There really was no money left. He probably did fall a bit on a sword to get, you know, a couple of his picks like into this room. And so by the skin of my teeth, I got into the room. But I remember Steve calling me and he said, you know, you got the job and I'm so excited. And he probably gave me the same speech he gave you guys as actors about you know, the no asshole policy and just, yeah. you know, what he wants to do. Yeah, I don't come from TV. I come from me. I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, you know, so he's yeah. like, it's just going to be fun and all this. And he goes, so you're hired and your first episode is, is going to be nine live. Your first episode is the cat thing. Like, so, write it. so wow. that's, that's like how it happened. 
Were you like, oh, he, not only did he hire me, he loves my idea and now I get to go write this? Or yeah, were you like, I, felt, oh. it, I felt really like I just was so I was really grateful and I was really it's a rare it's rare. The fact that I said I was grateful now coming in, it's rare for me to find perspective and find, you know, but that was a period where I was just like, I'm just so excited to. And, you know, Steve elicits that you want to please Steve and you wanted to just jump on board of his train. Like there were a couple of writers who locked themselves in a room and they had a dry erase board and they're mapping out the structure and they wouldn't come out all afternoon and they were just doing their own thing. And then there was Steve who was just like, God, I, I want to go get pancakes. <laughs> you know, it was just like, you know, we're going to go sit at a diner. And like he would he wouldn't even come in for half the day because he liked to write, you know, at, at diners and places like so he didn't want to be sitting in an office. He didn't even want to have he had sure, a big office. It was always empty. He yeah. was always like, let's take a walk. It was always everything that Steve, you know, and you would march around and like, you know, talk about ideas. And it just I was like, this is a dream. I've been used to being in this toxic sit in a room in my swivel mm. chair at a at a round table and like, you know, with my club sandwich in front of me and like just feeling bad about myself. Like that's what I thought it was. <laughs> and he like, just this is what it is to be a writer. Game. But this is, if I don't tell this story, because I don't think this is a story that James knows, but this is where, where it ends up going. I write this episode and Steve, Oh, I turned in my first draft and it's like, I'm not kidding. I think it was like, 78 pages or something. And <laughs> Kelly Kolchuk was like, you're going to get fired. You know, basically, I, I just filled it with like everything that I could think of. And I didn't know that much about the structure and everything. And I just like couldn't help myself. And I just I'm like, this is as short as I can make it. For people who don't know, what is an hour? Oh, long? So yeah, we ended up Me trying to be know. like we ended up trying to be like 50 some pages, 52 right. or something like that. Um you know, there's a lot of dialogue. It wasn't quite Gilmore Girls, but we could get away with a little. But that's all another story of how we. You wrote a movie. <laughs> I wrote like half a movie, <laughs> and it just didn't fit into. It. But as short as I could make it, and I handed it in. And Steve had already read a couple of other drafts of earlier scripts, and he, he was not feeling great about it or whatever. Mm. And I was really nervous, and I gave it to him, and he said he's going to go to a diner, and he's going to read it. And so I'm just pacing around in Manhattan Beach at this office, like, and he's gone and he's gone and he's gone. I mean, this is going to sound like self-grandizing, but he comes in, he has it rolled up and he walks in and he's just like, this is great. Like, oh. like he's like, I love this. Like he was going through and it was the generosity of Steve where this shapes the whole show from this point on, because Steve had an absolute vision for the show he had an absolute voice for the show he created these characters he's running the show it's the first season most showrunners would be like i want ownership of every single moment every single thing i'm going to rewrite all of this just to, i gotta put my stamp on everything maybe in season three or four once i get tired i could but it's like this is my baby you know and steve was sort of like welcome in like you I'm giggling at this and it's something that maybe I wouldn't have totally you're seeing the characters as I envision them, but slightly with your own thing. And I like it. So it was like, and, and not only that, but Steve said, you're Steve is big on family has kids were really, really young at the time. He had really no interest in living up in Vancouver or, you know, spending all his time up there. And so he said, of course, writers are going to go. I'm, of course, writers are going to go up to Vancouver. They're going to produce their episodes. 
which is also kind of mind blowing. Mostly upper level people get to do that. And still you're on text and phone and they're calling you every two seconds. You really can't say anything. And you're just kind of babysitting something. He was like, Andy, go produce this episode. <laughs> That's his thing coming from like the future world, not really getting that he probably shouldn't have done that. And he put me on a plane, like <sighs> a staff writer, essentially. Like, and he's like, go nurture your thing and go like, go do it, you know, and enjoy. Like How everything rare. about Steve was like, enjoy it. Like, enjoy, like, so this is the funny part. And James knows this story so I can tell it. But this was my introduction to James was that, as great as all of this is going, I watched the pilot and I love the pilot, of course, but I had this bias towards good looking people. And I honestly thought so you hated me, I hated you, you hated Tim, but James, I, I, I didn't hate James, but I was like, I did not believe I said, OK, he's good. He's he's interesting and he's good. But, you know, other than Ryan Reynolds, I couldn't think of somebody who was really good looking, who had great comic timing. I always thought you had to look like me or like, you know, be character <laughs> to be funny. Like, I just didn't believe a lot in leading men, you know, being like actually really like really funny. And that's how I felt about James when I saw the pilot. But then what happened was the dailies start coming in and we're all sit around and we watch these dailies and you can only imagine that I'm seeing, cause we hadn't seen that audition tape, you know, of James right. that now everybody's seen and everything of what he was doing, you know, like take after take and like seeing all the outtakes, seeing like, and, and, and then seeing him, like how he would work all the different, like how he would do everyone's coverage you know, and he would do his six page breakdown, but he would do it six full times. And it would just and I was like, what this guy is doing is like, I mean, I, I, I it was unbelievable to me in a way. And I started to have this huge man crush on James. And I was like, <laughs> get in line. He's really funny. And he's also yeah. just like he's doing something I couldn't do. I don't think as an actor, I was just like I was so into him by the time I got on that plane and I hadn't met him. Remember, because all of you were up in Vancouver. Right. I don't think there was any any actors come to the writer's room before in the first season like that early on or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I was getting on a plane to go meet this guy that I thought. The new love I, of your life. The love of my life. Yeah. <laughs> and the show that was now my the love of my life. Yeah. And think about it. I already had the approval of, of my dad, you know, which I've fought for my entire life. But I had Steve going, you're, you're great. Right. You know, and I love this and I'm so happy with this draft and like go and produce it. And like, you know, they're going to love like This is so funny to me. And you guys probably won't remember this because it's just a blip in Europe. But this is like how important this was to me. I drove from me, got picked up at the airport, showed up at the studio. You guys were busy, like in the midst of the previous episode. Obviously, this one we were still doing these table reads, having to use your lunch to go do a table read. Now, for me, this is like my words and like everything I have for you guys. It was like, oh, I got to eat a bagel, like somehow eat lunch. I had, there were phone calls I needed to make. Like we have to gather to do this. There's people on a speaker box. I really have no, we have to perform for people in the midst of like we're exhausted, all that. I didn't realize that going in, but we do the table reading and that's kind of how it was going a bit. And I also <laughs> want to interject for, for those kids out there who don't know, Steve is his enthusiasm. He is a great Dane puppy. Yes. Both physically and emotionally. Like he, when he gets excited about something, he gets so he gets excited. So he was obviously excited about you. And he's like, Andy, get on, you're going on, you're getting on a plane. Come on, come on, let's go. Awesome. Yeah, go do Crazy. your thing. 
do your thing and everything. And what I didn't, what I realized now, it like going, it's like what I was walking into was you guys are all experiencing your own thing. You're at the beginning stages of the show. You've got your own concerns, your own worries. You're trying to figure out what, what everything is like. And this was not, I, I'm not a big believer in these table reads at lunch ever again. Like, I don't think they're a good idea personally, but no they were a requirement, I think, at that time. And that's kind of how I think you guys sort of were approaching the, the table read. Oh, no. it was like, and then it, and I was like, hmm, it's not exactly the way, like, I heard it in my ear, but like, <laughs> and then here's the crazy thing where it just takes a really bad turn is that I'm also, we all know James with his first impressions and he's actually pretty shy and he can be kind of preserved. And he wasn't the guy I was watching on the outtakes in the dailies. He wasn't the guy, he wasn't the character. I mean, he was very like, you know, he was a little grumpy and he was kind of like <laughs> just doing his thing. And, and he also wasn't really paying that much attention to me or making that much eye contact. And I was kind of sitting at the table and I felt out of place. And I felt like, oh my God, here's this experience all over again, where like, maybe Aww. this is how TV works. Like, I don't know. And then I'm like, going to wait for my moment to talk to my lover after, after the table read. <laughs> Who just and like broke meet, your heart. Him, meet him officially. He doesn't even know, you know, he's my, I'm a name on a page. And by the way, I know that this was like listed as episode five in the series or something, but this was the first episode shot without Steve. This was the first script you guys received without Steve's name on it. Cause I got leapfrog. I think they aired them in different orders, oh. but this was the first non Steve script. And I didn't take that into account also that Steve was the person, everybody, the voice of the show. And it's just weird when you see another name, you immediately, this, this has to be subpar in some way because it's not going to be, it's not Steve. I love the smells of the season. Thanks to Native's new seasonal scents, my favorites are with me everywhere I go. Yes, I am talking about their deodorant. Native deodorant is formulated with ingredients you have actually heard of, like coconut oil and shea butter. Native deodorant never uses aluminum, parabens, or sulfates, but still keeps you smelling amazingly fresh all day long. With classics and rotating seasonals, Native has a deodorant scent for everyone, including their new holiday-inspired collection, candy cane, sugar cookie, and fresh mistletoe. Native is not just good for you, it's also good for the planet. They have a deodorant made of 100% paperboard packaging. They are vegan, and they never test on animals. I'm not alone in loving Native. They have over 15,000 five-star reviews. I know you are going to love them too. You guys, you know how important it is to me that things not be tested on animals. One of my favorite things about this product. But on top of that, it smells so good. And it's not sticky or gross. And you can pronounce all of the ingredients and understand what they are. Keep the sense of the season with you with Native's limited-time holiday-scented deodorants. Go to nativedeo.com slash pineapple or use promo code pineapple at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's nativedeo.com slash pineapple or use promo code pineapple at checkout for 20% off your first order. Andy, I want to ask about that because... Um... I never, how did the writer's room work on our show? Because y'all were in another country. Yeah. And so we never met hardly any of you. Yeah. Andy. Yeah. Until, until Andy came <laughs> until up. People, and until people would come up. Yeah. Well, it was a, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, what's great about, we were not a, we were not a staff of people. And this was dictated by Steve. But we weren't a staff of people that would sit in a room all day together, pitching ideas. It was that we would, 
you pitch to Steve your ideas for episodes and maybe in the group, you pitch your ideas. And once you land it on, that feels like an idea. You start to sort of suss it out on the board, make sure there's a shape to it. Some people start pitching some scenes. And at that point, very quickly, like within a day, half a day, sometimes you leave, you're gone. Now mm-hmm. go outline it, go flesh it out and then come back. So we worked very independently and we didn't have like a working room like that. Um, a lot of it was you and Steve. A lot of it was eventually it was that you could pull a person in you know, two or three people to talk about your episode. And, and, and there's a very relaxed kind of thing. And then you work very independently. See, I never know, knew who wrote what episode. Everyone wrote their, uh, this was another um, credit to Steve. And it's very rare. Everyone wrote their own episodes. I was going to ask that. Both, like, wrote, their, wrote their story idea, wrote their outlines, got notes on it, wrote their first draft. You did not get notes from everybody in the room on the first set. You got notes from Steve. It, eventually, we created some sort of polished system where we would pitch on, you know, some jokes and stuff like that. But for many seasons, actually, you, so that was what's so rare. It was Steve would occasionally, you know, rewrite some, you know, some dialogue or some scenes in your thing, or he would say he'd give you notes and send you back, and then that scene was gone, and then you would do another scene, but. You could say that 90% or more of that script were your words. And that is just so rare. And that's every level from staff writer all the way up was like, you have ownership of your script. As long as you are delivering on the notes, you get the opportunity to do your notes. You're on the notes call with the studio and network. You hear what they have to say. You talk to Steve afterwards. He says, go take a stab at it. This is what I think we need to do. Let's change this and let's do that. And then you... You know, rarely we've we've had like a dozen out of a hundred scripts that were like tabled or like you know we had to pull from somebody and like really go in and and divide scenes and you know a time crunch like rewrite something. But people could write you know dozens of episodes like you're it was really you. So go back. So oh, wait, now, so just now, this now, is the now James Rode has broken your lover. heart and meeting your love. He's broken my heart, but I'm meeting him, and it gets worse because I'm like. <laughs> Hey, I'm waiting to like, I just flew up on a plane and I'm the writer and like, like we're going to have an amazing episode and like this or that. And these flowers and are brought you a real thing. He's talking to somebody about like costume or this or that. And he's having other conversations. And I'm standing there like, like, just like waiting to like get it. You know, he's not even like making up. And he turns to me and he goes, Hey man, Hey, uh, I'm James. Like, you know, good to, can I, can I grab you for a second? And I'm like, Oh, okay. Here's where it's going to come. Like the praise of yeah, you how excited he is about the <laughs> script and all that. And he goes, listen, um, I, I've only read this. Like I read, I got it. Like, you know, the, whatever it was a couple days, like I've just read it. Uh, I'm super, super like combed through everything, but I just got to say like, ah, man, I don't know if we need the cat. and i was like "Uh, what i was like oh my god i everything was caving in because obviously that's if you go back now to my story that's the whole conceit of everything that was (laughs) that i was touted for and i know that now in retrospect james was sort of like imagining working with this cat which he was not wrong about but the idea that he was straddled to the cat for a whole episode and then he was going to be carrying he knew more than i did that like that was not going to be fun that was not going to be practical. That was not going to probably go all that well. That might not pay off in the way that I thought it was going to pay off. And he was just like, I just don't think we need the cat. And I was like, that's like a page one. Like, I don't get <laughs> He's like, listen, maybe we can see me with the cat, like in the first scene and I can look at the cat or whatever. But 
then I think we lose the cat. Like that was his thing. And so I called Steve and I was like, um, yeah, so James, like he had a thought and, uh, you know, <laughs> he's thinking we don't need the cat. And Steve was like, what? Wait, what are you talking about? And I was like, yeah, I mean, he seemed pretty serious about it. And he was like, you know, and then, of course, we all got like we realized it was more about the practicality of the thing. And it was more about James personality. Mm. He, what I eventually learned, of course, is that he was in the midst of like working and mm. thinking about stuff and like the weight of the world kind of in a way, because this was season one in the first. And she also had that bias. It was a not Steve episode. It was like, you know, and I kind of understood that. But obviously from that point on where we ended up, like w- where it went for me in the series and where we went. I mean, it was a great it was a great that was the other thing that I learned, like Andy Berman season one was a different guy than Andy Berman season, the end of season one, because what it was, was like, there was a indulgent thing where my 78 page draft that I somehow got down to 63, which I somehow got done, but I would jam in this and change the margins and do this was very like self-indulgent. It was like, I want to hear these actors say my words. Like, I know I probably won't make it into the cut. You kept referring to it on set as your opus. Yes, my opus. Yes. Which yes. Sure. That's kind of a red flag. And I asked you guys to call me Andy Sorkin. And I just thought that you, <laughs> that you would understand that ifs and ums. And, you know, I put ellipses in there for a fucking reason, everybody. And it has to not. <laughs> no, but it was like I was a kid in a candy store. And for me, it was like to hear you guys perform it. Like for me, like I knew that in a lot of ways, it wasn't going to make it, things weren't going to make it into the cut, but selfishly, I wanted it. You know, that was my MO in the beginning was like, I wasn't thinking like a producer. I was just thinking like a kid in a candy store. And that was a big lesson that I learned, you know, a long, hard lesson that I learned as as the series went on about what really ends up in the cuts and how you Mm -hmm. can edit yourself beforehand or how, you know, and you guys were always really helpful with that, you know, because you could cut through, like you could look at the scene and say, I think this is the crux of it here, but I don't know about this little piece and that little piece. And it always seemed like, but hey, don't you want to say that? It's funny. And like, yeah. you guys were smarter than I was because you were like, yeah, it's funny. We get to say funny things all the, all the time. You know, I'm kind of trying to think about the story and where my character's going. And like, this feels like this, this scene to be better. So you're learning. That's the favor that Steve did for me was mm-hmm. to put me on that plane and to get me, it's made me the writer that I am because you sit and you watch now take after take and you listen to the director and then you talk to the actors and then you see how the scene is performed and then you see what ends up in the cut and then you see how like, and you just start to learn how to do this, like how how to really do it. And it makes you a better writer. Who directed like, your episode? I'm trying Matt to- Matt Shackman. Oh, Matt Shackman, right. so right. Matt Shackman, as we know, turned out to be Matt Shackman. Who's like, you know, I knew that just back then and we all knew it, but obviously his career exploded into this creative game of Thrones and wanted like to like, we started his career because he did do what? Six episodes of our show. Yeah. He did six episodes. Before he became the massive, massive, huge, hugely successful director. By today. the way, side note on Matt Shackman, and he's not paying me to say this, but like I followed a lot of what Matt Shackman has done. And it's weird. You watch an episode of Fargo, which is mm-hmm. a great show. But his episode was better than other episodes. And you go, you watch, you know, a episode of A Good Wife that he directed, and there's a formula to it. It shows got to look pretty much the same. The characters are all the same, but his he just elevated the episodes that he did of all these different shows. So there's no, it makes perfect sense that he's like 
an auteur and like, you know, like is now creating. Well, we got so lucky with both of you. I feel like season one, because that was, I mean, for me, I think that episode is like the, the one of the main standouts of, of season one, you know, this, I mean, nine lives is one of the best, but, um, and then to have Matt Shackman, our baby staff writer, our lowest level baby writer on the show came to Vancouver Started working on Second Invention, became one of our favorite directors. I think I'm safe yeah. saying that. Yeah, favorite directors, favorite uh, writers, favorite. I, 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 for me, I know when I heard it was an Andy script coming in next, or when I'd get the like email that said what the next episode was going to be. I, and I don't know if this happened for you season one, like right away, if you were already thinking about this or not. I mean, you can speak to this, or even and speak now, speak to this, not speak now. Uh, nine I lines. see what you did there. Yeah, He's I, so I had. But emotionally, which, you know, it was a comedy, there was a case, there was so, so we took these kind of small steps, I feel like in the episodes, moving the characters along um, emotionally, I feel like you really, really uh, pushed that. Like I know as an actor for me, I always felt like we, we were still, it was still, I mean, it was, it was a perfect psych episode. I mean, all, all of yours, but I also felt like that is where we kind of made strides in the character's emotional uh, development and sort of pushing us into relationship stuff as well. Like on the romantic comedy side too, I feel like you're, you had like the most kind of potent voice. Oh. Well, that's really nice of you to say. I think what happens is you, as you guys grew your characters, we pushed the characters too. And like seeing what, you were doing with it made you want to do it. What, what was great about the show, don't you agree, is that certainly it starts out, if you look at Nine Lives, it's it's um, it's a it's a Sean Gus, you know, it's very Sean Gus, like the beginning of like until you think that like, oh, uh, Lasser is going to be one thing. You know, we've got this mm. note that he's got and it's a great note and we're playing it mm. and he's Tim's crushing it. And then the moment you give like a little bit more or you start to open the character up and you hear about his personal life and then Tim scores with that, then you go, oh my God, there could be a whole episode that's like, we have to do that, right? And that's how your characters, look at where your characters went from season one, the two of you, you know? And once we really laid into that, to to the love relationship, you know? And it, God, did that help like Sean's character, right? Because you've got this Peter Pan guy Mm -hmm. who's just, he had a note and it was like, that note could get exhausting too. And then you go, no, but wait a minute. It's like, he's got his relationship with his dad and that pulls at strings that everybody can understand. And then God, we get to do romance and we're going to get to do a relationship and how he's going to try to mature and stretch like in that way. And then we're going to create like a character that we love so much in Juliet that when there's jeopardy or stakes, like people will be on there, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, it was all there. And I just remember a season wasn't long enough for me, as far as like, you'd sit in a room and somebody would have an idea. Like we all got to do, like, I thankfully was like, Oh, I'm going to do, this is going to be a Maggie episode. You know, this mm-hmm. is, I, I'm going to get to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Or I get to do a Tim episode, but of course I can't do every Maggie episode and I can't do every Tim episode. And I have to say there's a tinge of, jealousy like when another writer was like would do like a standout episode for one of you guys and you'd be like oh that's going to be the one that they always refer to as like (laughs) episode you know here's Lassie it's always going to be here's Lassie and Mm. I didn't write it you know but it's like I got to do I think for each of you that was like 
ones that are like close to my heart, you know, oh, but Andy, we'll talk the, about the, the like, gift you gave us was because you came up and you were and are such a tremendous actor. You, mm-hmm. you saw it, you saw us as the actors and you saw the potential, I think for our characters and could kind of nudge us in those directions, which another writer wouldn't have necessarily without your acting prowess and background wouldn't necessarily. Have oh, well, the, it's part. nice for you to give me credit for that. But honestly, I think it's mostly the reverse. I think that everyone was watching. And then that's the discussions that would happen is that you'd see that there was this color and then you go. And then once you do it, once you open the box and then you score with it, it's like you can't ever go back right now. That's that was the gift to a show how you could go eight seasons because you can't as strong as the Sean Gus thing is, you need these other characters that really are, that could have a stories that could exist on their own. Otherwise it does. Your show's not going to have like any life, you know, I take back what I said. It's all because Maggie and I were so brilliant in our own ways. Yeah. Yeah. Gaps in the diet shouldn't be ignored. Over 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet. And 95% are not getting enough of their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin was formulated by exhaustive research to help fill nutrient gaps in the diets of women ages 18 plus. It is formulated with nutrients to help support brain health, bone health, blood health, and provide antioxidant support. But Ritual didn't stop there. They invested in a gold standard, university-led clinical trial to prove the impact of Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin. The results? Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in 12 weeks. In normal, less sciencey terms, that means it's good and it works. We deserve to know what we are putting into our bodies and why, especially when it comes to something we take every single day. I love, love that this multivitamin was female-founded. I love the research that they've done. Plus, all the ingredients are traceable, so I know what I'm putting into my body. Also very important to me. So right now, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off for three months. Right now, Ritual is offering our listeners 10% off your first three months. Visit ritual.com slash pineapple and turn healthy habits into a ritual. That's 10% off at ritual.com slash pineapple. Andy, I have to ask about, uh, you, uh, uh, speaking of stretching, um, mm. the dazzle and stretch moment of nine lives. Um, obviously it relates to the actress and the show she was doing. And then, and then what I don't, I don't obviously remember, but how, first off, where did dazzle and stretch come from? And dazzle secondly- and stretch was just like, I, it, here's the crazy story. It might've been a placeholder, like, you hmm. know, a word thing that I think Steve said, Oh, that's funny. There was a bit of, think about it. If that was in the script and it said, I dazzle and I stretch, I dazzle and stretch. And then it probably had an action line that, that Sean does something right with it. Yeah. That I got to give all to James, right? Because he was probably had, I had the vision of what he was going to do with dazzle and stretch. And then the music <laughs> and the song, that wasn't in the script that way. It probably so you didn't choreograph that. I did not choreograph it. And I thought it sounded funny. Dazzle and stretch, but I didn't, that was the case so many times. Can I insert a writer, uh, a really funny 
psych thing that I don't know has ever been talked Please. about in any podcast or whatever, but there was a writer we had who's now gone on to be massively successful, Tammy Sager, who was a writer early on. Right. And she has a huge career and she's written on like six like enviable shows. But I don't I don't know if she loved working on Psych, but but she was just on for the one season. And I remember even her script that she had finished. She was gone by the time she had moved on to another show by the time you guys were making that episode, which was her big episode. Um, Oh, it was the nanny episode. Oh, right. Okay, it was the nanny episode. But there was a line that that uh, Sean says where he goes, this, this is blah, 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 something about the case. Uh, and then he says something else. And it made it into the script and it made it up to Vancouver and it got shot that way and it aired that way. And it was a placeholder where she didn't want to really deal with the case bullshit. She was trying to do the jokes. So she put a placeholder that just said, funny, 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 some joke, blah, 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 something about the case. And then like this, that, and no one caught it. And she eventually watched it on air and was like, what's the matter with these people? Like, that was like a placeholder. Funny, funny, blah, 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 something about the case. Blah, 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 something about the case. And that, because that was the idea that like, what a goofy fucking show, right? I mean, it was like that, that, literally no people would think that that was just a Sean bit of some kind that right when it was like well there were times where I would read we've talked about this a couple times on here that that the breakdowns and it would say kind of what you just said it was like Sean does a dance and then it becomes dazzle and stretch (laughs) and it's I mean iconic now yeah that was the lazy that was the lazy bones part of all of us because once you realize that he has a massive psychic vision that he was just going to do whatever he was going to do. And it was going to be better than like, how would you write that? Like, you know, how would you tell? And at that point, how would you tell James what he should do in a psych vision? You know, like that was kind of left to him, which I'm sure he resented quite a bit, but he cut to him doing a full on choreographed routine in Vic's office. Yeah. And adding jokes. Can I, I know, I don't know. I don't know where you'll put this because I don't know what context it is, but I was thinking about this today. And if I don't tell this story, it's going to bum me out. But this is a personal story about you guys. Mm. Um, And maybe I've said this to you before, but I don't remember. But you remember when we all did Grouse Grind? Oh, yes. (laughs) You called me. Okay. Maggie, Tim, you guys had a plan to do it. And you like I was up in Vancouver at the time. I'm going to tell tell the people tell the people who don't know. Oh, okay. The Grouse Grind is a very intense, straight up a mountain, almost all switchbacks, uh, basically just zigzags up an entire mountain uh, in Vancouver. It's kind of a Vancouver rite of passage. Absolutely. Uh, had we done it yet? I had you done hadn't it. done it. Oh, you we had done it, Tim? I don't think I, I, had. I had done it once before okay. and, and almost like dry heaved and vomited the entire way because it's yeah. okay. important, so important for the story. <laughs> I happen to be up there and you guys were nice enough to invite me. It was your weekend plan and Dulé was going and it was, this ended up being the three of you and, and I got invited to it. And one of you picked me up in a car. I didn't have a car or whatever. And we, oh, I have we lots of pictures. I didn't really want to do it, but I was really like, wanted to be invited. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a try. But I had no zero confidence in myself, rightfully so that I would be able to do it, but I wanted to be part of it. And so you guys invited me and we started the climb and it was harder than I even imagined that it was going to be for me personally. 
And I remember just, I was, I was doing terribly and I was dying. You guys were sort of fine. Everyone's chatting and talking and whatever a bit. And I think Dulé was being kind of competitive and he was like trying to do his thing. And, and we reached a point when I thought I was almost going to just collapse. And it said, you are a quarter of the way through. <laughs> and that's when I realized I shouldn't have seen that sign because I didn't have it in me. There, if there were three quarters, I'm not good at math, but if there were three quarters left and it was going to continue going even straight up, I was going to be able to do it. And I think I said something like that. And I've told Dulé this story, so it's okay. But Dulé turned to me and he said, all right, if you're not going to do it, turn around now because we're not going to turn around like later. So if you don't feel like you can do it, we'll meet you back and like, see ya. <laughs> and I took that seriously because I really didn't think I could. And then I realized oh, I'm going to ruin everybody's like rest of their hike because oh, no. I'm not going to make it. And everybody's like doing this. This is Tim's story because Tim turned to me and said, I don't remember the exact words, but you were like, oh, no, you're going to do it. We're all going to do this together. And I was thinking like you had your own probably sense of competition, you know, like getting it like you were like, we'll go at your pace. Like we're going to do this together. You had a chocolate bar at one point that you were like a dark <laughs> chocolate bar. I don't know that you gave me like half of it or whatever. It was yeah. like, give me some energy. But you were like, I'm with you. I like and the only reason why I made it up that. Maggie, I think, was just like walking. Like, I remember there was like uh, an old woman in her 80s in flip flops who was past me at one point, like go going up the thing. But Tim bitch? said, I'm going to do that. You're going to do this. We're going to do this together. And I'll never forget that because that I may I was so proud of myself when I made it up to the top of the thing. And it said a lot about where I think we all were like, you know, I don't remember. It was later in the run, but yeah, it was I, like, I that's remember. why it's like family. It's like you guys are friends. Like, you know, it just meant a lot to me. So I wanted to be able to tell that story on your podcast because that's so sweet. Know. But that says a lot about you, too, because I feel like there were a, a lot of people who came up that didn't sort of uh, didn't want to play. Yeah, didn't jump in with us. Like we were we all played. We played. We like to have a good time. We were the only people we knew in Vancouver. So we did everything together and we wanted, you know, more, more. But I was still members. an outsider and you did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I yeah. eventually, I guess I was up there enough, but you didn't need to call the writer for the weekend. And I, you know, eventually, of course, you're my dear, dear friend. So it was like all our mafia games and our, oh. that, you know, that was his, like when people ask about, and I'm sure when they ask you guys about projects and other projects and they say, do you remember this? Like, episode and you're like what you remember is what you were doing during that episode like and right. those were epic mafia games where where like the guest stars of that week or yeah. of that episode would then get invited and i always just remember oh this was the week we played with so and so and you know <laughs> and had a mafia game you know yeah. or whatever actor was in town that somebody knew and invited yeah right. or somebody new to invite that was in the circle somehow but it was always like as interesting as the event of the episode you'd always come back we'd always come back to the writer's room and be like, oh, well, we, you know, we played mafia with so-and-so. And it was always a, a weird combination because it could be like Christine Baranski and like, <laughs> somebody. And Michael Vincent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Michael Vincent. It's just like, oh, you know, uh, it's Corey Feldman. And uh, you know, it's just like, <laughs> we had such crazy, weird. And do you think about that? You guys should probably do, I don't know where this podcast ends. We was like, how many amazing guest stars over the eight years came up and played? Like I watch like old things where I see, it's just like, Oh my God, we had like lots of famous people and like lots of cool people and lots of quirky people that no one else was putting on episodes. And like, 
we're going to talk to all of them and we're yes. going to talk to you more as well. Like this is nine lives, but we have a whole, we have a oh, whole, nice. I want to, I just, everything, even you're talking about and sharing all the stories, but also like your run on psych, just because you were, I mean, I, I just, it, it was shocking when Steve told me that you had started at the sort of staff lo- lowest level. Um, because I, I just, I remember even when I first read nine lives, I thought it was, I thought it was next level. Even, even, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I really did all of it. Even the, the Sean Henry stuff, uh, the young Sean, uh, the very beginning, all of that. Like, I think, I think those were hard. You're setting up like lessons and it has to still be psych and it has to be funny, but like the episode start to finish is just, it's so good. It's so oh, that's good. Nice. And it did well, become there, an iconic sort of episode of it is. for our, our show of what our show was going to become. Well, but also when you think about the setup of the cat and like as annoying as it was to James, how annoying it would be to Lassiter, right? Like just that, that's Who's really what was super allergic to cats. Just to push your you button, are, right? You have a line in there that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, maybe when, when the cat's done urinating on evidence or something, <laughs> urinating on things we can find. I don't know. It was like, it was a good setup. Like it was a good setup to push. And then it was like Gus re- exploring his, you know, having a call to try to get information, oh, but then it starts to get in his head that he doesn't have any friends outside of work. And that, you know, like it's starting to work <laughs> yeah. on him psychologically. See, that's what funny. I mean. Can see. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean. Character wise, like even just emotionally pushing all of us, but like getting into like who these people are, which I think like setting us up, you know, obviously season one pilot into the first few episodes, it's like really establishing the show and the tone and what every week is going to be, and but who like Buzz McNabb is. And who Buzz <laughs> McNabb is. Like his sweet, sweet actor, Sage Brocklebank. Um, Andy, we have uh, some psychos that reached out uh, with some fan questions. Ah, okay. Uh, what was it like working with an animal on set? Was it tr- a trained cat? And was great there an question. audition process? Great question. <laughs> it's a really great question. And it should have a follow-up to when I directed my first episode with the polar bear, because that's going to track. But right. uh, I am a big believer, and let me just say this now, I feel really strongly about it, that I don't think animals actually <clears throat> should be on TV doing things. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of even the best of situations. And mm-hmm. somehow I keep getting dragged back into animals on screen because people mm-hmm. know I love animals so much. But I actually am not a not a fan of it, but I remember thinking there would be an audition process because the cat is going to be such a huge part of it that what's going to be the look at the cat. And we had those initial conversations, those pre-production conversations, and we were told way down the line, there are no trained cats and there is only one available cat. So oh. he's neither trained, but it's the only one available. And he's like, what do you mean available? Calico- everyone else was booked on different projects. <laughs> I don't think they were allowed to use like a crew member's cat. Um, sure. You know, there were like insurance issues deal. or something. So it had to be like something from an organization, you know, from a trained animal. But they said it, the training of cats is not really something that exists in Vancouver. Like, you know, if it were a feature film, they would start like three or four months beforehand trying to get one or two little behaviors but cats also don't really do well with that like so they said the cat can't really do anything but the cat (laughs) had one and we said so there wasn't like let's look at a bunch of pictures it was here's the picture of the cat that we got so there's no choice and then it was well the cat has to jump down at the end of the episode right and save the moment right jumps down before you guys all pile on the on the bad guy 
but the cat couldn't do that. So all they did was they just had the cat up there and they threw it on the person and it landed on them. And then we cut. Really? I should interject. So the, no cats were harmed, harmed. in the filming. No the cats were. So the short answer is the cat was not trained and <laughs> we did not have an audition process. We got the only cat in Vancouver. What would get written first? These are fan questions. The episode idea or Henry's lesson. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, there, it was not it was not a choice between those two things, but I'll tell you that all the way through all eight seasons, episodes could come from three directions. It would could be a world like saying dodgeball. You know, what's the world of semi-professional dodgeball? Now right. let's back a case into that. Or it could be a cat is the only witness to a crime, which mm-hmm. is more of the case. Now let's back a world into that, like the suicide hotline or like what the case, because the case could have been anything, right? Could have been a race right. car driver shows up dead and, you know, and a cat was in the seat. Like, so episodes usually, like Steve was famous after season two or three, he'd bring in a board of AFI's top 100 movies. And <sighs> this was how brilliant the conceit of his show was, was that you could say, Jaws. Well, what's our version of Jaws? Oh, it's an episode because it would be like, what if Sean and then Sean wanting to step into movies and Sean wanting to step into characters meant that like his first thing would be like, well, I'm obviously going to be Richard Dreyfus and you're going to be so-and-so, you know, like that's where the character would actually think like, oh, wait, a shark is on the beach. Like, oh, we're doing Jaws this week. Like that would be said out loud in the episode. right? (laughs) Indiana Jones, of course, like we're going to, what's our version of Indiana Jones? How do we figure out a case that would happen in Santa Barbara that feels like it's having something to do with, you know, either treasure hunting or this or that. And then they, he's like, well, of course I'm going to need a whip. Like, that's what, because I'm Indiana Jones. You're not Indiana Jones, Sean. I'm going to be Indiana Jones. Please, you're, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so we could find six episodes a season just by looking at, and then, or it would be like worlds, like roller, roller, roller derby. Roller, you know, yeah. Roller derby yeah. Great world. Yeah. Gentleman's finishing school was an episode I wanted to do. <laughs> like, uh-huh. right. That, right. That got so much backlash. Nobody wanted to do it. They kept saying it wasn't a real thing. And I'm like, I have the article right here. It's a real thing. Gentlemen's finishing school. Um, but you know what I mean? So I, I don't know if that answers the question because the Henry's lesson thing was always something that we would, that obviously would get added to the episode and would probably be about what Sean was going through emotionally. At least eventually it would be right. like, if he's having a relationship issue, it would be like this, he learned something about this affected him when he was a kid. And that's why he acts this way, right. you know, or it would be there to help launch a, you know, a Henry story. Right. You know, we'd go back or it would be about the skill of the case. You know, where did he learn? Like how many hats in a room? It might be something about, Oh, it could be as dumb as like the prizes at the bottom of the box. Do you have to wait all the way to the bottom or do you turn the box upside down and take it out from the top? Like that's something mm-hmm. that Henry teaches it. And it would be like Sean at some point in the episode would be like, we got to forget doing it the way everybody else does it. Let's turn the box over. You know what I mean? It could be a, like that. So it wasn't that one thing came first. I think certainly the Henry lessons were always an added on thing to help support. Right. Got it. Happening in the episode. That actually, that does answer it. Oh, this is for Tim. This, this is a fan question for Tim. We know uh, how Lassiter likes his coffee from this episode. Uh, how does Tim like his coffee? Wait, I know. I know this. He knows very well. 
He likes, I, and they used to always ask me what it was. I can tell everyone uh, because I know Tim so well. He likes uh, a drink called Shot in the Dark, which is an espresso shot, if I think I remember correctly. It's a red eye, yeah. Or red eye, or red eye, yes, yes. Added to a, uh, a cup of, of brewed coffee, correct? Yes. Got it. That's what he likes. That's- I love that I can answer your questions. <laughs> We've had a lot of coffee together over the years. <laughs> Has it changed? <laughs> Yeah. I actually, I don't drink. I don't really drink the red eyes anymore because I okay. realize, I, why can't I sleep? <laughs> now, one of you is going to know. One of you is going to know my drink. Oh, you like the? Um, hang on, iced tall, iced green tea. Wait, it's it's a venti, uh, not even a venti. It's, it's the tallest. It's a Trenta. It's Trenta. Yeah. Now it's a Trenta green iced tea. Um, no water, extra shaken. No water. No sweetener. So just pure green tea shaken, so that there's a head on it. Wow. That's right. I remember you always had that in your hand. You would have that somehow in your hand from the arrival onset to the end of the True. day. I feel like you were always holding. Well, cause I would drink multiples. Okay. And anytime anyone <laughs> was doing, need. that yeah. was the greatest gift that ever happened that you guys were always doing, whether it was you, James, like every single person took a round and there were Starbucks probably round. five rounds a day of, oh, yeah. of Starbucks at any given point. Someone was always like, shortlist do you want something like, <laughs> it was always like if you could make the shortlist of like you know obviously not buying like 40 but i'm right. gonna add this person that i somehow always got on the list and it was like of course i'll take another ice because you're andy of course yeah. you did um, i thought wait. that tim's favorite drink was just scotch it is we're talking about coffee but if we're talking oh. about alcohol <laughs> <Favorite> beverage <laughs> well, it's a little more gin but oh, oh. is it really yeah as, as far as whiskey goes I've always been more of a bourbon guy. I mean, I was a big Irish drinker for a long time, but. I introduced you to some Louisville, uh, local Louisville uh, bourbon. Yeah, you did. Uh, Angel's Envy. Angel's Envy. Yeah. Which is downtown Louisville, Kentucky. Backyard stuff. (laughs) (laughs) We we made in my backyard growing up. Oh, and I want to pitch you guys an episode um, because I realized in, in thinking about this in the podcast, do you know that I have a lot of psych memorabilia? that I took um, stuff from every episode. <gasps> I didn't know this. I didn't yeah. either. So I have a, I have a, like, a like a psych trove of, of, of psych things that might be of interest to people. We have to do a trip down psych memory lane with everything Andy stole from the show. <laughs> I've got the Hornstock, Hornstock, <gasps> Biederman and Hornstock case files. And like, you know, the, like, <laughs> awesome. I just took like stuff. Well, that was a tough one because I was like, oh man, cloudy chance of murder. I like, I, I mean, you have so many and I, that I was like, so for, for season one, um, which I think we'll try to get Mike, Mike Weston. Uh, oh actually, yes. Yeah. For, yes. for that one. But um, wait, we had one more question. Do you remember? Um, I mean, we just, I just in rewatching it. I of course know where this is now, but uh, where the pineapple is in the episode. No. Uh, Sean gives it as a gift. To the hotline. Oh my God! Of course, he moves in right. Yeah. He's yeah. like, yeah, closet. yeah. He's in the into the closet, right? He moves in. By the way, that's one of, one of my favorite lines from the episode that I realized. Just so this is the character to me. This is what got me like I could write on the show forever and ever and ever. Is that they go and they pretend to be looking to apply for an apartment mm-hmm. oh. from the killer. Yes, and it's a funny scene and whatnot. But later, when they're in the closet, Sean goes. Oh, I forgot to tell you, we got great news. We got the apartment. <laughs> so like, it would be like that. He was both 
duly invested in the fake <laughs> thing as well. Like I thought like that's so like, great. So, so true. It's so good. The whole like, episode. I got the call. Like we can move into this place if you want, because <laughs> we got it. He's thrilled. Well, He's the thrilled. landlord's a killer, but you yeah, know. he picked them. He's he happy. Them. Um, Andy, you're the best. We love you, you guys are the best. So I, this was so fun to do and just be able to talk to you guys because I haven't seen you and talked to you. I know. I still have not met your baby. Who's oh not my a baby. God. Oh, my, e- baby, my baby is turning two this week. Oh, the 13th. This is an outrage. Or the 13th next week. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. When this, but um, she is such, she radiates. She's like a little angel. She has this spirit about her i feel like i mean just like even in pictures she's just oh. this joyous radiant angel like she's funny i she is funny which i'm thankful for i don't know <laughs> if you find that like your kids are naturally funny or whether they get influenced by you or how that works but she definitely is she definitely like, is funny proud. which is like you know and goofy too yeah which she gets from her dad Anyway, uh, Andy, this is just the first one. So this is. Oh, well, I said to you, like, you're hitting rock bottom already. If you're into (laughs) writers, you got to get like you haven't gone through all your actors yet. No, but that's that's how important and special you are to this whole. Oh, my God. I feel really shitty, though, if I look and it's just like, you know, a massive drop down and. It's like nobody listened to this episode. What happened? No, people yeah, really it's like, oh, but next week we're gonna have, you know, it's just like <laughs> you're like um, no. Thank you so much. And like I said, this is uh this is just the first of um of many. So um Andy, okay, love you so much. Love you guys so much. You back Be soon. well. Uh, for well, all everybody. many, many more. You too. You too. Um, and we'll, we'll all see each other really soon. This one's never going to get put up right. It just gets buried, right? This was just for us. It's uh, it's <laughs> actually up this in about it. two weeks. So okay. I want to go back to um, Dazzle and Stretch for a moment. Oh. So it, because it's a psych rewatch, I rewatched the episode this morning so I could be up on what we're going to talk about. And yeah. in, in watching Dazzle and Stretch, that scene, I'm literally laughing not once, but twice I write character. I'm sitting on a desk looking at what's going on in Vic's office. And as I get up, I'm just totally cracking up. I walk in the door and I'm already, I'm already just laughing. Like no even attempts to even try and stay in character. It's just impossible. Oh, <laughs> you do. You cracked. And, and uh, one of my favorite on screen. Things. Absolutely. On yeah. Screen. You can always tell when Tim is laughing on, because he does this thing that is, sorry, I know no, this about okay. you, but no. he'll like, you kind of do this thing with his lip that'll like try to make it look like he's mad or annoyed yeah, when he's deep switch. down. He's like, you can see his body shaking because he's laughing. So oh, I just spit everywhere. <laughs> well, when I need a cheer up, sometimes when I need a cheer up, I just watch the bloopers. Like I just uh-huh. go to YouTube and watch like bloopers from the different seasons. Oh, Andy, that's my the favorite sweetest ever. Thing. Um, psych out is um, I'm too sexy with you. Yeah. <laughs> showing up and coming my chest hair. Oh my God. That's right. Oh my God. We had a lot of fun with your chest hair, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) Remember how those were so ridiculous, but then sometimes you take them seriously, right? Quiet, everybody. We're going to shoot this. We had no time to do that. It was like, they'd throw on it. You'd have to put on a costume. It's like a whole added thing that you had to do for no reason. Oh my God. Anyway, Um, we love you and you are an essential part of our psych families. Thank you for joining us and letting the psychos hear your, um, awesomeness yeah that is i love you guys I love Andy Berman. um let's all see each other from in- the bottom of my tiny heart oh your giant heart
My giant heart. It's because I wear lifts. <laughs> my heart. Um, all right, Andy. Love you. Okay. See love you guys. Um, and yes. Mwah. Thank you so much, by the way. That was so good. Bring me oh, your daughter. You I want to meet Edie. Yeah, Edie. You got to meet Edie. I will. I'm going to send I'll you guys pictures. Whole, whole I'm going to send you a Yeah. Letter. Okay. Send us pictures of Edie. Okay. Um, all right. Bye-bye, Andy. Wow, that was such a fun episode with Andy. So many great little psych tidbits in there. And I love that the first episode he ever pitched was the first episode of his we did, which was Nine Lives. Had no idea. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, psychos, for being you. Please feel free to message us on our Instagram at the psychologists are in or our Twitter at psychologist pod. And while you're at it, follow us on TikTok at the psychologists are in. Thank you guys for listening. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.